the teams you care about. The Patriots are absolutely a contender. They're not just in the conversation. They're in the VIP section at the party right now. The stories that matter to you. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. Ben Shungu is the most important player to the Catamounts, bar none. This is your home for New England sports. The rest of the American League, as I told you, is not messing around. The Red Sox need to be ready to make some big moves. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show. Unexpected Brady Farkas Show on a Wednesday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, every day in sports talk radio is fun. Every day is different. Every day is exciting. Every day has a different energy. There may be no different energy than when you have a show that you were not expecting to have. We were not supposed to have a show today. We were supposed to have high school basketball, the Dave Morris Invitational, but because of the weather, and it sounds like wisely, the school administrators have pushed the start of the tournament until tomorrow. So we will have high school basketball tomorrow and Friday. Unfortunately, we won't have shows for two consecutive days for Thursday and Friday, but we are on today. And there is no there is no greater energy than when you are on when you were not supposed to be on. Like rain delay, postponement in baseball, you think you've got the afternoon off, and then boom, all of a sudden you're on and you weren't expecting to be. So you're you're shuffling papers, you're reading stories, you're finding stats, and you're putting a show together. We put, we put this show together like right before the news. And the thing that's unique about our show is that we have an hour and a half off basically between the afternoon news service and now where we can't plan anything. So we put this show together like in the three o'clock hour and that was it. And I think we got a really good one today. So I'm, I'm pumped about this. We're going to do some fun things, some different things. And because we weren't supposed to be on, we've had to shuffle some things around. So we did get a hold of Tom Karen, TC, our Red Sox and Bruins insider, is going to be with us, but at a different time today because of the short notice. He's going to be with us at about 6.30. I want to talk a lot of hockey today with TC because the situation in the NHL is getting pretty tenuous with the COVID outbreaks that are going on. The Calgary Flames have nearly their entire team out right now, and are, they're on a complete pause right now. The Islanders were on a pause recently. The Bruins got smoked last night without Brad Marchand playing, got beat by the Golden Knights. So... TC is going to join us about 6.30. Freddie Coleman, we had already promised the week off to, so we let Freddie keep whatever plans he had made. So we'll be back at it with Freddie again next week. But you can always get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, Lego. Five, four, three, two. One. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. There are no good options for the NFL when it comes to how to handle coronavirus. There are no options that can accomplish everything that we as fans want. Nothing the league can do can satisfy everything we would want. We told you yesterday, the NFL, like the NBA and NHL, 
is in a COVID crisis. And it's different for the NFL because we're getting towards the end of the season. We're barely a quarter of the way through the NBA and the NHL. So there's still time to maneuver things there. We are at the end of the NFL season. So the league is in COVID crisis. I've said it's going to impact games. It's going to impact playoff races, playoff seedings, and maybe it will impact the playoffs themselves. The league has no good options here. Trust me, I've tried to figure it out. There are no good options for the NFL. Let's examine them. Let's just go through them logically. The NFL could just keep rolling along. They could just keep rolling along and do what they're doing, putting people on COVID lists. And as a result, large swaths of players would be absent from games and absolutely competitive integrity would be ruined. The Cleveland Browns have a game on Saturday against the Raiders, a game in which the Browns, who are 7-6, and six, are fighting for their playoff lives. And as of right now, their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, is on the COVID list. Their starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is on the list. Their top wide receiver, Jarvis Landry, is on the list. Their two starting offensive linemen are on the list. The Rams, Jalen Ramsey, Odell Beckham Jr. So teams are being decimated by this. As for the Browns, a must-win game, and they're missing almost everybody who is anybody. So the league just rolling along and doing what it's doing as far as finding positives and putting people on the COVID list and taking them out of games, that's not a great option. Competitive integrity can be ruined. Think about it this way. The Browns are 7-6. and six. If they play this game on Saturday and they play without Landry, Mayfield, and Stefanski, their head coach, they lose the game, their playoff chances are impacted, and everyone else in the AFC, their chances just got better as a result of something that they possibly don't deserve. That's not fair. That's not right. Just rolling along is not a great option. Let's let's look, though, at the other options. You can move games. You can postpone games. Hey, the Browns are going to play on Monday instead of on Saturday. That's not a great option either, is it? You're doing things for them you haven't done for anyone else. Also not fair. It's also from a money standpoint, not great to your league TV partners to go and cause drastic changes to their schedules. It impacts your deals and your money with them. That Browns-Raiders game is a standalone game on Saturday afternoon on the NFL Network. Do they want to force that game off NFL Network and put it on Monday at 3 in the afternoon or something? Not a great option. The Rams are in a big game on Sunday in Seattle. or against Seattle, rather. Do you want to take away? It's only one of only two games on Fox the entire afternoon slate. Do you want to force Fox into a bind where it loses one of its only two games of the weekend and then go put it on Monday at 3 p.m.? Not a great option. The league does not have great options. And then there's this one, which is being bandied about. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network tells us. Many, many of the players who have tested positive are fully vaccinated, uh, asymptomatic, and what do you do with those issues? What does that mean? And that's certainly some of the discussions that are going on here to try to figure out where the league is with these protocols that were developed 
without a vaccine. Now there is a vaccine, and a lot of the players are asymptomatic, so what do you do with that? I think we're going to get, as Judy mentioned, some more news over the next day or so, but certainly does feel like a very, very important time for the league as far as its handling of COVID. Now that one has been called for a long time. Hey, if you are vaccinated and asymptomatic, you just don't get tested. That has been called for a long time. We don't test vaccinated asymptomatic people. They may be positive, but we don't test them to find out. We only deal with symptomatic people or unvaccinated people, and that's it. That's been called about for a long time. That would drive the numbers down and would keep people available. But look at how many pitfalls there are with that, too. From a medical standpoint, we know that vaccinated people can be positive, and we know they can spread the virus. So they may not be sick. You'd let them play, but they can still spread the virus through their locker room or through the communities in which they inhibit, or inhabit, rather, I guess is the right word. The league, which is supposed to be advocating for player safety for all, probably won't be down with that. Hey, this guy, we're not going to test him. His whole team is, you know, his his whole uh, position group is positive, but we're not going to test him. And he may have it, and he may be able to spread it, but we're just we're just going to ignore that. I don't know that the league and the players' union is going to go for that. Two. There's competitive integrity issue. There's competitive integrity issues there also. The Cleveland Browns played without Nick Chubb against the Patriots, arguably their best offensive player on the roster. They were forced to play without him. But now, potentially teams that are dealing with all of a sudden the same thing can have their vaccinated players play. So the Browns didn't get to play with Chubb vaccinated player he had to miss the game they get beat but now other vaccinated players they get to play that doesn't seem right either you talk about competitive integrity that's not fair either i don't know what the league does i don't know the answer to this i know that i saw a tweet earlier today from matt chatham the former patriots offensive lineman who does some work at nesson he says the NFL is considering changing COVID protocols to Rappaport's point. He says this would be a positive development if it weren't for that whole competitive balance thing. You know, players who already missed games by following rules that may change to keep different players from missing games. Ding, ding, ding. All the options on the table, none of them are great. Moving games is not fair to teams that didn't get games moved. It's also not good for the league's partners money-wise. That doesn't bother me, the fan, as much, but the league will consider it. Just rolling along as it is is not great for competitive integrity in that severely impacted games will happen. And accommodating things now is not good for competitive balance because we didn't do it earlier. There are no good options here. Nothing will accomplish everything that we want. We want the best players available. We want everyone to be healthy. And we want competitive integrity. That all is not possible under one decision. I don't know. I like to think that I come in here every day researched and opinionated. 
and I may not always be right, but damn, mo damn sure believe that most of the time I have a position on something and I have an answer. You may not agree with it. I may be wrong, but I always like to come in prepared with an opinion. I do not have an opinion on this. I do not know what the league should do. This is why these people get paid far more than I do. There are no good options here. Your text on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. We've actually got a lot of them here. Jamie's in Plattsburgh, New York. She says, why not just take a week off and pause things? That's a good suggestion, right? We heard a lot of that last year. The idea of week 18 in the NFL schedule if we had to push things. Well, there is no week 19 built in to this year's NFL schedule. It's not easy to accommodate a week off. And because there are fans at games this year, you can't easily just push things back and and push the Super Bowl. Or I guess you could take the week between out, you know, Super Bowl media week. I guess you could do that, but then you'd be impacting some of the uh, you know, some of the events for Super Bowl week and I don't think the league wants to do that because there's people that are traveling, there's hotels that are booked, etc., etc., etc. I don't know that the league wants to do that. So just adding another week to the calendar or removing that week before the Super Bowl doesn't seem like it would be all that easy. CJ in Burlington. Hey, I'd rather avoid missing games or avoid having games canceled than worry about the fairness of the rules changing midseason. I know CJ, and I know that CJ is a Denver Broncos fan. The Denver Broncos last year literally played a game without a quarterback. And that was of their own doing. So I understand it's an apples and oranges situation. The Broncos broke protocol, so they deserve to be punished. But the Broncos played a game without a quarterback last season. The Cleveland Browns, how fair would it be if Baker Mayfield gets to come back? If we move games so that Baker Mayfield, or we change the rules so that Baker Mayfield can play? The Denver Broncos are battling the Browns for that for those playoff spots in the AFC. If the rules just change to let Baker Mayfield play and then the Broncos end up missing the final playoff spot to Cleveland, that's not a good look for the league. I do care about competitive balance and competitive integrity. Roy and Williston, Brady, have an opinion now. He says, what do you actually think is best? Well, I just told you. I don't know what is best. There is no good answer, but I, I can tell you this. I believe this in my gut. I am for competitive integrity remaining intact. We have been playing by these rules all season. These rules were developed by the players and the league together. They were collectively bargained and agreed upon. So in my opinion, if guys are out, then guys are out and trust me that sucks I don't want to see the Cleveland Browns play on Saturday without Baker Mayfield Jarvis Landry and their head coach I don't but those are the rules we've been playing with all year I don't want to make exceptions at the end of the season when we didn't make exceptions at the beginning of the year the Patriots lost games at the beginning of the year with a COVID impacted offensive line they're not getting those games back. Now, they appear to be good enough that it may not matter, 
but they're not getting those games back. T the, the New York Giants, again, they're bad, so it might not matter. But Logan Ryan missed a couple of games. I believe he missed two games being COVID positive. The New York Giants aren't getting exceptions given to them. I don't want to give exceptions to anybody now. Now, Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback, says, hey, they think a lot of this is the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant spreads quicker but isn't as bad, so maybe they can let asymptomatic players play now. That might be true medically. But if we didn't let players out last year and we didn't let players out of things all year through 14 weeks, I don't feel particularly good about letting them, you know, changing up the rules now. And look, th this is going to impact teams. I'm a Seahawks fan. The Seahawks are playing the Rams. The Rams right now are out almost their entire team. The Seahawks have a better chance at winning. But the reason why I don't want the Rams to get their guys back is not because I think the Seahawks can win. It's because we haven't been playing this way all season. I don't want... The, the Rams to get all their guys back when, you know, I don't want the Rams to get all their guys back and, you know, no one else got their guys back all year. That doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem right. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I, again, I tell you, there's not a good answer. For me, competitive integrity, competitive balance remains outside of general health, remains the most important thing from a football standpoint. All right. Assuming that we could just talk about football for football's sake, the Patriots are taking on the Colts in a huge game on Saturday night. One Colts player has divulged his team's strategy against New England. I'll tell you why I think that strategy, if they do it, is going to backfire big time. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on this Wednesday, an unexpected Brady Farkas Show. Reminder, Tom Karen of Nesson usually joins us, but we had the craziness with high school basketball being postponed until tomorrow because of weather. So TC will be with us. We tracked him down, but he'll be with us at about 6.30. Patriots are taking on the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday in that rare late-season Saturday night game. 8.15 is the kickoff. We'll have the coverage for you at 5.30 right here on DEV. And linebacker Bobby Okariki of the Colts says, we're really going to try to make the Patriots one-dimensional, and we want to see what Mac Jones can do. I got to say, for this particular game, that's the wrong move. Most other games, especially late in the season, I'd agree with you. This game on Saturday, that's the wrong move. Saturday night is being played indoors, inside perfect conditions in Indianapolis. The things that usually make throwing the football late in the season tough will not be in play on Saturday night. So if the Indianapolis Colts want to stack the box and put eight men in the box to try to take away Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, then Mac Jones is going to have a field day. If they want to put eight men in the box and then the Pats counter with, hey, we're going to throw three wides in there and a tight end. We're going to get single coverage all over the field. 
and you're not going to be able to stop us because the receivers are going to have perfect footing in those conditions. They're going to have perfect conditions for catching, and they're going to have the ability to cut easily, get upfield, and run after the catch. Bad decision if the Colts do that. I, in, if this game was in Foxborough or in Buffalo or in Chicago or in Seattle or in Green Bay, 100% Pittsburgh, I'd agree with you. We want to take away the run, and we want to force you to throw it when it's 42 and it's raining and it's windy and the field is chopped up. We want to force you to throw in those conditions. Well, those are not the conditions on Saturday night. 75 degrees indoors, climate-controlled, perfect footing. That's what the the Patriots will be able to throw that day. You saw it in Atlanta, even on Thursday, the Pats were able to move the ball through the air. Mack wasn't great, threw an interception, a bad pick, but they moved the ball. If you're going to stack the box and try to take away the run, you are asking for trouble, I think, on Saturday. The New England Patriots will have an opportunity to move the football. If, In fact, if I were the Colts, I'd probably go the opposite way. I'd let them run. I don't mean let them run all over me, but I would let them run and try to have 12 play drives and hope we can force them into a mistake or limit them from scoring a touchdown. If you want to, we'll give you the run. Have a nine play drive. Have a 12 play drive. We're going to try to force you at some point into a field goal. And the Patriots are 26th in the league in red zone, in red zone touchdown percentage. So there's a good chance that if the Colts can, you know, look, move up and down the field on the ground, we're going to tighten in the red zone. That's what I'd do if I were the Colts. If Mac Jones is able to throw it downfield, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, even Nikhil Harry, John o. Smith, Hunter Henry, I think there's going to be an ability for them to, to do some things. I, I'm inviting the Colts to try to stack the box. Because I think Mac is going to be able to beat single coverage in perfect conditions. Single coverage in Foxborough is a lot different than single coverage in Indy. So Bobby Okariki, go ahead. Try to make Mac beat you because he will. On that day, in that setting, he will. That would be my plan too. A lot of other places. Not there. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. You guys are rolling today, and that's much appreciated. Because when we have a show that we have to plan on the last second, we appreciate having some help for you guys. A nice bump to get through it. Mark in Northfield. Do you think it was a mistake for this guy to say that out loud? Of course I do. Of course I do. You know this. I always think talking like this is a mistake. It's a mistake to give up any part of your game plan. It's a mistake to give a team any bulletin board material. And basically, you're saying, we want to force them to throw because we think Mac sucks. That's what you're trying to... That's what you're basically saying. Mac is not good enough to beat us that way. That is what we want him to do. So, giving giving bulletin board material, bad. Giving motivation, bad. Giving up your game plan, bad. And giving an opposing coaching staff any extra knowledge about you also bad I can't imagine that Frank Reich is happy about this 
the Colts head coach. I was remember I was mad before the Chargers game when J.C. Jackson came out and said, hey, I don't think their passing game is that dangerous. I was livid about that. Now the Patriots won, and Jackson proved me right, except for one, he had one bad completion surrendered at the beginning of the game, but I am just not a guy who is in favor of of yapping before a game. I, I think that Okariki definitely had to be talked to by his coaching staff. Interesting matchup, too, by the way, because uh, remember, this is the team in the Colts that Josh McDaniels spurned. McDaniels took the Colts' job, had coaches in place, and then left and went back to New England. They haven't forgotten that in Indy. I was listening to Greg Doyle yesterday of the Indy Star, the newspaper out there, and he said, Bill Belichick remains a, uh, a villain, McDaniels remains a twerp, and the Colts are better off without him. There's some real venom against the Patriots. This is going to be a good atmosphere on Saturday night. I was listening to Pat McAfee, the former Pats or the former uh, Colts punter who's made it big now in in sports radio as well. He's great, unbelievably funny, unbelievably insightful. Does those Aaron Rodgers interviews every single Tuesday? McAfee was saying there's all kinds of special events around this game. The Colts know how big this game is. We all know how big this game is. The Colts are seven and six. They are battling the, the – let's see. I'm trying to see if I got a stat in front of me. No, I don't have the right one in front of me. But the Colts are battling with Cleveland, with Denver, for those last playoff spots in the AFC. They need this win. They know how big it is. I don't think it's smart going into a big game like that, going into any game like that, but especially this one. I don't think that it's smart to, uh, you know, kind of rally up the opposing troops. This is the Brady Farkas Show. On WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I do see the text from Jeff in Faston. I want to get to that text. So that's actually a very interesting point. I'm going to do that on the other side of the national news update. So CBS News update coming. Then we will come back, and I'll answer Jeff from Faston's text. And then UVM men's basketball. Coach Brennan told me something yesterday that I think is going to stick with me forever. I'll tell you what that is next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder that Tom Karen of Nesson is joining us here. We're going to talk a lot of hockey today with TC, and we're going to talk with him at about 6.30, a different time today because we have a different show today, a show we were not supposed to have. Reminder, high school basketball, the Dave Morse Invitational postponed tonight because of the weather. They will play tomorrow with our coverage on DEV beginning at 5.15. In about 10 minutes, we're going to do something different. We're going to have a a potpourri today. We took the opportunity for the different kind of show to put in some topics that otherwise probably wouldn't have made the show so we do a potpourri segment in about 10 minutes. But uh, I do want to answer the question from Jeff in Faston on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. He says, Brady, did you see what Josh McDaniels said yesterday about Mac Jones in that Buffalo game? I found it pretty interesting from a development standpoint. Yeah, I do. And I, I wanted to wait until the, you know, through the commercial break because I wanted to find exactly what you're talking about. I did see it. We do have it now. So, uh, yeah, here's what Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator of the Pats, said about Mac Jones last Monday night. I will say this. You know, Mac, Mac, although he didn't throw the ball a lot, 
he had a lot to do with what we were doing. And, you know, obviously you guys know the quarterback's responsibility is numerous here. And so he was, he was in charge of trying to get us in a lot of good plays, which he did a good job of and, and setting our blocking schemes and distributing people and all the rest of it. So um, although not a challenging night throwing the ball for him, um, he had his hands full on some of the things we were asking of him at the line of scrimmage, and I thought he handled it really well. You know, we as fans never talk about and almost never think about the stuff that's happening pre-snap. We just don't. I am convinced that we as a society, myself included, do not talk about anything more but actually know less than about NFL football. We talk about football so much, again, myself included, but we really don't understand all that we're watching. I bet you that right now, 90% of our audience couldn't pick out the nickel defense from the dime defense, couldn't pick out this con- you know, a certain this concept from that concept, couldn't name a lot of the route tree. We talk a lot about football, but we don't know that much really as a society. The game is so complex, and one of the areas where it is complex and one of the areas that we certainly don't appreciate, and it's not sexy to talk about, is what's happening pre-snap. We have no idea what the quarterbacks are doing at the line of scrimmage, what the offensive line is seeing, and how they're communicating with each other. Josh McDaniels is right. That was a tough game last Monday for a lot of different reasons. And there were little to no issues at the line of scrimmage. And that's a testament to Mac Jones. We need to understand that as fans, and we need to recognize that. So there was all this talk about, oh, the Pats don't trust Mac. That's why they didn't let him throw it on Monday. Well, the Pats trust Mac to put them in winning plays and in winning situations. And he deserves to be praised for his work at the line of scrimmage, especially in New England because we know how hard it is. It's ironic. I did this podcast last year. Those of you who have been with me since day one know this, but those of you who haven't, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. I did this podcast last year with Doug Flutie. And we did it for most of the season. We did it from probably about week six on through week 17 And we did it into the playoffs as well, even though the Pats weren't playing. So I did this with Flutie. And he told me multiple times how challenging it is in the Patriots offense specifically to know what's happening at the line of scrimmage. And Cam Newton, a nine-year veteran, was having problems at the line because it's that complex. And Mac Jones has it. So Josh McDaniel says, look, I know you don't think he was doing a lot, He was actually doing a lot. Here was Flutie. I went and pulled this. This was Flutie from November 11th of 2020 talking to me about Cam and about the line of scrimmage. And I know I'm processing all that and bang the ball thrown with confidence. You throw it on time with confidence and you know. And Greasy was indicating early in the game last night that they can't do some of the things right now with Cam that they did with Tom. Protection-wise, uh, read-wise, he's just not quite there yet. You know, it's the first year in an offense, and it's it's not the stuff that he did his whole career. And Mac Jones has it. And that's no shot at Cam Newton. Flutie was a 20-year professional player 
when he ended his career in Foxborough, and he said it took him the whole year to get it down. The whole year. So it's no shot at Cam. What it is is an elevation of Mac Jones and an understanding that we need to have that he's doing more than we give him credit for. So, no, he did not throw it a lot on Monday night. But he did do a lot. And if we're going to criticize players for X, Y, and Z, we need to work hard at digging deeper into learning what they're doing well. And one of those things the quarterback is doing well this year for this team is handling the line of scrimmage. How many times do we see Mac Jones go up to the line last week? And this we heard. He'd point his, his, point his uh, fingers at each side and go, kill, 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 meaning he's killing the play and doing something different. A lot. We heard that a lot from Mac Jones. We've seen it a lot this year. We need to give him credit for it. It's Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Our full show podcast is always available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Remember to continue to follow us there. We appreciate everybody who does. I spoke with Tom Brennan yesterday. I always speak with Coach Brennan on Tuesday. But because we had a short show yesterday because of high school hoops, we couldn't you know, play any of the interview or play any of it back. I couldn't even really tell you about the interview. But Coach Brennan yesterday said something to me. He gave me a quote. He gave me a saying that I don't think I'm ever going to forget. And it was born out of this conversation. So we were talking about UVM hoops and how they beat Brown in that game at Brown last Friday night. UVM won at 70-65, to 65, right? Ben Shungu, the Vermont native, South Burlington's own rice product, he led UVM in scoring with 18. He was the high scorer for the Catamounts, and that was great. I believe 16 of his points came in the second half. So I simply asked Coach Brennan, I said, look, you have a player that clearly has offensive ability. He can take a game over, as he did in the second half. How do you get him to have that mentality in the first half? And this is what Brennan told me he would tell Ben Shungu if he were his coach today. I don't want you to go crazy and get it at one end and drive it all the way up and take a three. That's not what I'm asking. I'm, I'm telling you to get involved in the offense. When your opportunities come, take advantage of them. And uh, there's a big difference between being selfish Brady and being responsible. I will never forget that. There are certain lines and certain sayings that I have either developed on my own or picked up in this business. That will be one of them that I that will stick with me for my entire career. There is a difference between being selfish and being responsible. There's a difference between being selfish and being responsible. That is an all-timer to me. It's right up there with the show is today, which you've heard me say. When someone says, you know, Brady, let's see how this plays out. We can't. The show is today. We can't wait and see. It's also up there with me when I always say, how good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be. Those two are already on my Mount Rushmore of, of sayings. This one's about to occupy the third spot. There's a difference between being selfish and being responsible. And in the case of Ben Shungu at UVM, the responsible thing for him is to go out and get his, and he's got to do it early. To his point, to TB's point, it's not about getting X amount of shots or getting X amount of shots in X amount of time. It is not about forcing. 
but it is about recognizing what the team needs. And when you recognize that the team needs you to be an offensive force, then that's not selfish. That is doing the right thing. Being responsible a lot of the time is doing the right thing when it needs to be done. Ben Shangu, the right thing for him is to be an offensive asserter. And this team needs him to do that. They need him to do it from the start because you can't get away all the time with Ben Shungu going into halftime with two points. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to win and playing catch-up. They need him to go into the break with eight, with 10, with 11. And they need him to finish with 17 or 18. He's that good of an offensive player. He really is. He's an unbelievable story. He's a local kid who goes to the local school, who's not on scholarship, who redshirts, who then earns a scholarship, who's a defensive first guard, and now he's one of the best all-around players in the league. That is a great story. This team needs him to assert himself from the start. I think Ben Shungu is a great player. I was surprised last week. We had on Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated last Thursday. Uh, December 9th. And here's what he told me about Shungu. I, I think yeah, I think there's a reason why your expectations are where they are. I also think it's not I, – I, I also think it's a little unrealistic. I, I think Shungu's a great player. He's an outstanding defender. You know, He's grown up in this program and gotten so much better over the years. But I don't think he's like a truly elite-level guard at the mid-major level. I think he's good. But I think when you're, when you're attempting to build a team that's going to go – you know, 25 and eight and win an NCAA tournament game, right? That's the, that's, that's probably the ceiling at UVM. The realistic ceiling is win an NCAA tournament game. I think you need that truly elite guard to go with that top big in Davis. And I think Shungu's really good. I just think if he's your best guard, the, the ceiling is a little bit lower. So see, I disagree. I was floored to hear Kevin Sweeney say that to us last week. I think he is good enough coupled with Ryan Davis to carry this team. The issue for me is is not Ben Chungu. It's the guys around him haven't scored like they're probably capable of. I think Chungu's great, and I don't think I'm having homerism or, or state bias. I think he's a very good player. I think he's capable every night in the America East of getting 16 to 20 points, and they're going to need him to. And if he can get 16 to 20 points and... If Davis can get 16 to 20 points, well, then the team looks a lot better. What they can't have is him getting 12 and everybody else getting four. I think he's good enough. He's got to be assertive. It was really fun, by the way, last night to have TJ Sorrentine on. We didn't get a chance to really recap it because the show came to an end right after we had to let TJ go. But one of the greatest players in UVM history, he was with us last night. He said it was weird to coach against UVM because he's on the coaching staff at Brown. He said he's a big fan of Ben Shungu, and that full interview is available on our podcast channel, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. All right. It is the Brady Farkas Show. It is WDEV. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802-585-3026. We do not have a show tomorrow or Friday because of high school basketball. So we're not going to get a chance to do our six-pack of NFL questions. So I'm disappointed about that. I love the six-pack of NFL questions. We always do it on a Friday. We've done it on a Thursday. On a Wednesday, with all the COVID stuff right now, we don't know exactly how games are going to play out. 
we decided not to do our six-pack of NFL questions today. But we are doing a little potpourri. Things that wouldn't usually make the show or would be little nuggets in the show. We've put up all together and wrapped them up into one little segment right here. So our potpourri, I still want the uh, the NFL music, everybody. Can we get the NFL music? Let's see. Um, all right. Yeah, give me the music. There you go. Perfect. All right, our potpourri of NFL questions, or our potpourri, rather, of topics, not all NFL-related. Number one, the Bills and Patriots in Week 16 are not being flexed into Sunday Night Football, and I think that's a mistake. The league is going to stay with Dallas and Washington in the Sunday Night Football slot, and I get it. It's the Cowboys. The Patriots are a huge draw, and they're a huge draw this year. Patriots games are crushing it ratings-wise. People are curious about Mac Jones. They're curious about Bill Belichick in the wake of losing Tom Brady. They're curious about this team. Maybe they find the Pats more likable in the fact that Brady's not here, but the Patriots are crushing it in the ratings department. That game, Patriots-Bills, belongs in Sunday night way more than Dallas and Washington does. The Bills and Pats are separated right now by just two games in the division. And there's a reasonable possibility that after this weekend, it will be one game. It's completely plausible that the Bills beat Carolina, and it's plausible that the Colts beat the beat the Pats. So if that happens, there would be a one-game separation going into that game. That game, week 16, the day after Christmas, Patriots-Bills could be for the de facto division title. That game belongs on Sunday night. Dallas and Washington, there's three games separating those two teams in the NFC East standings. Washington's under 500. There's a three-game separation there. There's literally zero chance that that game can mean anything other than just getting Washington a little bit closer. Now, Washington can be in the wild card race as they are right now, so it does have playoff implications, but... That game, Patriots-Bills, could have actual division implications, and it could end up that that game could pull Buffalo into a tie. I am shocked that that game is not going to be Sunday Night Football. And I'm disappointed. Sunday at 1, the day after Christmas, I'm all fat and happy and hungover from Christmas night, and now you're asking me to get up and play, pay close attention Sunday at 1? I would have much rather had that game at 8. But instead, we get it at 1. Number 2, the NFL announced today that they are playing games in Germany at some point in the near future. We've already got the London game. There's going to be a German game starting next year, actually. Not in the future. Next year. It doesn't matter to me. If they want to play a game in Germany, that's fine. All I ask for are two things. One... The teams that play in Germany, give them the bye. The week after, give them the bye. That matters. Okay, if my team has to go to Germany, better get the bye week. And number two, the home team in the German game, the team that's listed as the home team, should be a team that plays in the conference that gets the extra home game. So, like, this year, the AFC, because of the unbalanced schedule, the AFC teams all get nine home games. The NFC teams all get eight. Next year, 
all the NFC teams get nine and the AFC teams get eight. So whoever goes to, to, to Germany next year, the home team should be from the NFC. You can't have the AFC team, the Patriots potentially, lose in another home game and only have seven, whereas the NFC teams have nine. That's not going to work. So the NFC teams next year, whoever it is, they deserve to have the home game taken from them because they already had one more than everybody else anyways. Number three, the USFL, the United States Football League, they came out, they've restarted again. They're, they've announced their TV package with NBC, or no, with Fox. I could not care less. I could not care less. I am all for different football leagues existing. The Arena League, the XFL, the USFL, the Alliance of American Football. I am all for any of these startup leagues happening. Why? Because it gives players another place to play to work on their craft and chase their dream. It gives officials. We, the league, the NFL needs more officials that are competent. Now with more leagues, there's more chance to develop an officials feeder program. That is good. It's a better chance for coaches. It's a better chance to, to increase diversity in the sport because there's more coaching jobs because there's more leagues and therefore more minority candidates. I am all for different football leagues happening. It's good for a lot of different people. Players, coaches, officials, everybody benefits. What I don't care about, though, is the fan. I, the, the fan, like, I don't care one bit about it as a fan. I enjoy minor league baseball. I enjoy going to minor league baseball. I am not going to sit and watch minor league baseball. If a USFL team was playing in Burlington, I would go, no doubt. But I do not care to sit and watch it on television. I don't care they're partnered with Fox. I want, if I'm going to sit on TV, in front of a TV and watch something for three hours, I want to know that it's good. I want good football. I do not want just more football. And there is a difference. I don't watch a lot of college football. Why? Because I don't think that it's played all that well. I'll watch the college football playoff. I'll watch the big regular season games, the big rivalry games. I'll watch top draft prospects. I watch college football, but you cannot find me watching Miami of Ohio and Toledo on a Wednesday. You can't find me watching Arkansas and Vanderbilt on Saturday at noon. Nor will you find me watching Hawaii and Stanford at 10 o'clock at night. I don't think the games are played that well. I want good football, not more football. The league should exist. It's a great opportunity for people to hone their craft and chase their dreams. And every once in a while, a guy comes up from a league like that and will hit. An official will come from there and be good. I'm all for it. But as for who... The TV partner is of the league. I could not care less, and I won't be watching for very much at all. Novelty for a bit. I'll check it out opening day, and then I largely will go back to not caring. Number four, Steph Curry. Congratulations to him. Steph Curry last night the became the NBA's all-time leader in three-point field goals made. 
Up top for Curry, right wing for three, nails it! Raises his arms to the sky, blows a kiss to the crowd. Steph Curry, the all-time record for three-pointers made, and it comes at Madison Square Garden with 7.28 to go in the first quarter. Steph Curry has changed the way the game is played. And I would argue that in my life, he is one of three players in the NBA to have completely changed the game. I guess four, actually. I will take that back. Four players in the NBA. One is Michael Jordan. Two is Shaq. Three is Allen Iverson. And four is Steph Curry. Other guys have made unbelievable imprints. We're unbelievable players. This is not a ranking of who the best players are. Kobe, phenomenal. LeBron, phenomenal. Russell Westbrook, phenomenal. Hakeem Olajuwon, phenomenal. Charles Barkley, phenomenal. But in terms of changing the way the game is played or the way the game is handled, I think Steph Curry is on the very short list of guys in my lifetime that have done that. MJ, it goes without saying. He's changed everything. Shaq made, he changed the way the game was officiated. He changed the physicality of the game. He redefined the big man position. And then Iverson, whether you like him or not, he changed the way the game was played too. The game was played in a more street style once Allen Iverson got to the league. And I loved watching Iverson play. I am of the generation 32 years old. Iverson was one of my guys when it came to on-court stuff. Off-the-court stuff, I understand the questions. I understand the dislike off the court. But on the court, Allen Iverson was completely innovative. He was completely different. He brought a different style. He attracted a different type of audience. He changed the way guys dressed. He changed the way guys talked. He helped bring about the headband, like all kinds of things. The handle, Allen Iverson was an innovator on the court at a time when the league wasn't doing what he was doing. So Allen Iverson, to me, is a guy who changed the game. And Steph Curry is a guy who has changed the game. The three-point shot has existed since 1979. I heard Colin Cowherd today earlier say, Steph Curry is the only guy to completely take the three-point shot and make it his. That's innovative. When you are doing something better than anybody has ever done it in history, and that becomes your thing, that, that that's changing the game. And all kinds of kids are changing the way they play based on Steph Curry. A kid at home can't just easily be 6'9", like LeBron is. A kid at home can't just be as big as Zion is. But every single kid has a chance to be Steph Curry. Undersized, not fast, but a great shooter. There are kids in gyms all over America that are doing what they're doing because Steph Curry has made it okay and has given them a blueprint for them to be good. That is something that that people can't replicate, what Steph Curry has done. Kobe, great. LeBron, great. I could think of, I could think of 20 phenomenal players right now off the top of my head, and none of them changed the game the way it was played or called than Michael, Shaq, Iverson and Steph.
Durant not doing that stuff. Phenomenal. Unbelievable. Not doing that stuff. Maybe, just maybe Dirk Nowitzki is in that category of the shooting big man. Maybe I'll throw in a 4A. The idea of a big man that shoots the three ball. Dirk comes over from Europe, and then there's just all these big man shooters. Kevin Durant is a byproduct of Dirk. Because when I was growing up, if you were the center, if you were the tallest guy, you weren't allowed to shoot. I had to fight that battle my whole life. Big man shouldn't shoot. Big man should be down low. Big man should play the five and be a post player. Dirk opened it up and unlocked it for everybody to be a seven-footer who shot threes. So maybe I throw Dirk in there too. But that's the list. Those four plus Dirk, I guess, so five. And that's all I'm willing to do. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson. We're going to do things a little bit backward. TC is going to join us on the other side of the commercial break. And then we're going to do who's saying what. I didn't forget about who's saying what. We usually do it at 625. We're doing it after Tom Karen. So TC, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, he's going to stop by with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Thanks. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, as he does every single Wednesday, our guy from Nesson, Red Sox and Bruins insider, Tom Karen TC, how are you? Good. How are we doing, Brady? Excellent. I want to start with the Bruins, because this team's hard to figure out, man. Really hard to figure out. They started off slow, then they win a couple of games that maybe they, you know, people didn't think they were going to win in their Canadian swing. Then they come back. They get blasted last night by the Knights. I hear Bruce Cassidy's yelling at players, and WEEI's got reports that everyone's mad at him now, and I don't know what's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, I really thought that the, uh, the, the, the Western swing, the Canadian swing you talked about was going to jumpstart this team. Omar looked really good. Uh, they, they, they wind up, you know, in that last game, uh, the Calgary game, they, uh, the, all four goals were five on five, which is something they really had trouble doing this year. Uh, and, and so, you, you know, you bring that home, they just haven't been any good at home. Now, I get that, uh, that, that the COVID factored in last night. You, you, this team does not have the depth. I mean, they've had very little secondary scoring this year. You take Brad Marchand off, as we've seen, uh, and they are not the same team. Craig Smith is an important part of that second line. You take him off that as well. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, I guess the good news is they're back on the road here over the, uh, over the next three games because they've been a whole lot better. Uh, on the road than they've been at home, but I, you know, I, I mean, and Rask is just hanging around there, so you don't really know what's going on with that goaltending situation in the long term. They're really kind of a mess right now. Not not Celtics level mess, okay? <laughs> uh, but but it's you know just when you sort of thought it was coming together, last night was disappointing. Uh, COVID cases or not. You know, the thing about the NHL standings, you look at the Bruins right now, and they're 14-9-2. And, 
And you look at them and say, hey, they're a couple games over 500. They can't be that bad. But the way the NHL has done the points, there's actually very few teams that are under 500. So is that record misleading then? Yeah, it's weird. Well, I, I'll tell you, it's just hard to figure out the, the NHL standings right now because of the, the disparity in games played, right? I mean, you just you look at the Bruins and the, and the Maple Leafs, they, they played five more games than the Bruins. And by the way, the Bruins are one of the teams that haven't had a game postponed because of COVID. They hmm. just haven't had any games on the schedule. And now you're in this weird, you know, six out of seven games on the road, five out of seven games are north of the border in Canada. Uh, you're going to regret. If you're the NHL, if they have, if this COVID thing gets worse and they spread and they would have to postpone any game, and I'm, they haven't talked about that yet. A lot of people were surprised they played last night after putting two guys on and coming out of Calgary where nine guys are on the COVID list. Uh, and then and Calgary's have three games. And in Vancouver, you've got, I think, I think eight teams right now had, had players added to the COVID list yesterday. Uh, so if, if they end up having to start postponing games, then they're going to be so far behind. I've been trying to look, when you look at the Bruins in the standings, I've been trying to look at essentially the percentage of points they've picked up in their games because that's how you can sort of figure out, okay, they have five more games. If they're getting points in 67% of their games, this is where they project to be. Uh, if they do that, then they'd just be three or four points back in Toronto. Um, you know, kind of kind of in the, the wild card hunt right now, but they could be better than that when they play the game. But to your original point, the way they played last night, who says they're going to win any of those games? Like, you just really don't know right now. You know, I understand there's no love lost in Boston for what's happening to the Canadians, but here in Vermont, you know, with Dominic Ducharme being the head coach now, the Canadians being a UVM guy, we are rooting for the Canadians to at least be relevant again this year. I understand last year was a weird year and they get to the finals maybe when they weren't supposed to, but to be this bad and be the worst team in the NHL, what is going on? Yeah, they got a long way to work. And, you know, to your point, they were sort of – remember at this point last year we were talking about, oh, the Bruins Canadians could meet in the Stanley Cup Finals. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, Shows you how quickly that can change. But, yeah, Ducharme, Jeff Gordon now overseeing hockey operations, uh, former Bruin guy. Uh, It's it's an interesting group up there. Uh, But they're back to square one, aren't they? I mean, it's a a rebuild once again. And I I don't think anybody thought they were there. I thought people thought – that they were much further along the way and that now they'd be in the position of contending uh, for at least a playoff spot every year, but a huge step back. And, and again, they're rebuilding completely. You know, I, maybe I spoke too soon. I guess they are tied in the uh, win percentage with the Coyotes. They might be the worst-run team in sports. The Coyotes? Yes. Man, that's a, that's a great discussion, isn't it? I mean, it's like all time, like I think if you took – all time, and I know they had a couple runs where they were okay, but they've never really had any consistent success. Uh, that's pretty good. It'd, it'd be hard pressed. It'd be hard pressed to, uh, to to find a team that has been that inept for the, as much of a percentage of it. You know, I, it's easy to say like the Baltimore Orioles right now, but the Orioles have you know a tradition of great teams. I mean, the Coyotes make the, the the Coyotes make the Detroit Lions look like a stable franchise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, you're right. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that's a good call. I just I remember I go back far enough that Rick Tockett was going to be the guy who turned that franchise around. Remember, he was going to be the coach, and, and Gretzky was going to be involved, his old buddy, and, and they were going to get everything going on the right way. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. You know, Gary Bettman was talking this week about 
the Coyotes situation and expansion or relocation, et cetera. Would you want to see a team in, in, in Quebec again? Um, you know, you know, Northern Quebec, like the Nordiques were, or is that just, do players not want to play there? That's a really good question, you know, because that used to be such an important franchise because such a big percentage of the NHL were French speaking Canadians. And it's not the case anymore. It's a global sport. Uh, you know, there's more Europeans playing than ever before. More Americans playing. You look at the Bruins roster. So many American kids on that on that roster. <clears throat> you know, that wasn't that long ago. I was talking to Mike Milbury last week, and he was talking about having to overcome the sort of uh, the, the, the stigma of being an American college player and how those guys didn't really have a chance of making it in the NHL. And, and now that's not the case at all. Yeah, I don't know that there's any you know, you and cry to make Quebec uh, a hockey city again on, on behalf of the players. <clears throat> I think French-speaking Canada would love it, uh, but is that really the best spot? You know, me, there's other places. Uh, we've seen what Vegas has done to embrace hockey. We've seen what Nashville has done to embrace hockey. And by the way, the fact that when you look up and down college hockey rosters right now, there's kids from Florida and Texas and California. That's all because you know, 25 years ago, the NHL made a concerted effort to, to plant their flag in non-traditional locations. So is Quebec a step forward? I don't know. It sounds more like a step backwards to me. On the hockey podcast I do on the side, we're interviewing former Bruins defenseman and UVM product uh, Kevin Miller a little bit later today. Any good Kevin Miller dirt that I can bring to that interview? You know, I, no, because <laughs> there's not a lot of dirt. I mean, this guy, he's the real deal. You know, if you, if you went into... Your, your NHL 2022, whatever the hell they call the video game now, right? You went into fantasy mode to create the perfect defenseman. You'd come up with something hmm. pretty close to Kevin Miller. Uh, he, you know, the guy is the real deal. I mean, he's everything you want in a, in a, in a hockey player. I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and I, I spent some time on the West Coast with some, some Navy SEALs out there, and there's literally things I can't tell you that hmm. they told me. Uh, because, you know, the SEALs have to work in such secrecy. But I, I know that Kevin Miller got really, really involved uh, with some of those guys. And, and you know, it's, it, we over sometimes over-dramatize sort of the, the warrior code of, of athletes, you know, and, and I think hockey kind of comes closest to really having such a thing. Uh, but he resonated with those guys, man. And, and what he's done for some of the active military guys and some of the veteran guys who come out, uh, just being a role model for them by, by being accessible and helping out and raising money and doing things. He's the real deal. TC, you get to the Red Sox. Not a lot of news here in this lockout. We had the minor league Rule 5 draft last week, so I guess what I want to go back to is a couple of the coaching decisions that were made. Tom Goodwin's not being brought back as the first base coach for next season, and they've moved on from Tim Hires as one of the hitting coaches. So what do you make of some of the coaching turnover with the Red Sox? Well, two very different situations there. Tom Goodwin, uh, you saw that coming. Uh, he didn't get let go because he wasn't vaccinated, but I don't think there's any doubt that the fact that he didn't get vaccinated and was not able to coach in the playoffs. Yeah. Again, you can talk about your beliefs on the vaccination or not, but at the end of the day, you need your coaches to be all in and do whatever it takes to be there to help the team win. And I, I love Tom Goodwin, great guy, uh, great coach, great great energy guy who resonated with the players. Uh, but that, that was a mistake. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, that's just something you had to do to be part of this team's playoff run, and he didn't do it. Tim Hires, that was a shocker because that's a good hitting team. And that was all him. That was his decision. 
I think he saw a case of his deal was up, and if he re-upped with the Red Sox, he'd be the hitting coach of the Red Sox for another three to five years and, and maybe would miss out on the opportunity to move up. Now, he didn't get a managing job, uh, but I think he felt he had to get to another organization, experience some different things. And, you know, Al Score is in his, you know, he's probably looking at that saying Al Score is going to be here a long time. Uh, I, he wants to get a chance to be a manager, be a bench coach, even talked about being a college baseball head coach. But I think he wants to get a chance to run an organization. He didn't see the route to it here. Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider at Nesson, with us every single Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show. TC, have a great weekend. And uh, when we talk next week, we're going to be uh, coming up on Christmas. So we look forward to our holiday special with you. Oh, there you go. We can figure out uh, what teams have given us gifts and what teams have given us coal uh, for fans who, uh, who stuck with them. So well, I know I know how much you love uh, you know holiday weirdness, so we'll make sure we, we get it extra Nothing weird for I you. Nothing I love more in sports radio, Brady, than <laughs> guys talking about anything but sports. I get excited about that every time. So. Well, you know, hopefully hopefully we'll have a little fun talking about an eight-game win streak for the Patriots and uh, getting ready for another showdown with the Bills, so maybe we'll, ha- we'll have that next week, too. So, TC, well, until well, then. You know, Saturday night, listen, man, Saturday night, you got the, the past Bills uh, the past Colts rather going up head-to-head against uh, Hockey Night in Canada, Blues Montreal. So Saturday night's going to be a great night around here. Saturday night will be a great night. TC, we'll talk to you in seven days. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider. And Nessa did a lot of hockey today. We have had a, a, some texts asking for more hockey. So, look, with baseball and a lockout, we are going to get to more hockey. We are going to get to more basketball. But – the situation right now in the NHL is also tenuous. We do have the Flames on pause. I think it's up to you know 17 total players that are you know in the COVID protocol. We had the game canceled last night with Minnesota. As they've got some major issues. Brad Marchand was out yesterday for the Bruins. Patrice Bergeron is on that list today. It is getting tough. And then the whole thing with the Olympics and the NHL players is going to just be... Fascinating is the wrong word, but yeah, a little bit fascinating if players are going to go. Because here, here's what happens. If you... I believe this is the case. If you go to China, if you go to Beijing for the Olympics, and you test positive, there is a three-week quarantine in China. You could be asymptomatic. You could be recovered. But there's a three-week quarantine in China. So if an NHL player goes and tests positive, he's staying in China for three weeks. Then there's the reintroduction process to getting back to the NHL. How much time are you going to miss for conditioning? Canadians or teams that play in Canada, you have to be two weeks removed from covid even to get back in the country. So you could be looking at a month before you even get back to your NHL team. So some guys have said they're going to go no matter what. Some guys have already said, I'm not going. So it's going to be a real interesting thing as we move forward here. But thanks to Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson for joining us. Again, he does that every single Wednesday with us. We're about 12 minutes away from dinner jazz with John Wilson. What we will do is we'll step aside. We'll come back. I did not forget about it. Who's saying what? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Got about five minutes left. I want to make sure we get to it because we do it every single day. Who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. You just got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at only $20 a month. For a free car wash, my listeners just can text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. So you get unlimited car washes for 20 a month, and we give you a freebie just for listening to the Brady Farkas Show. So to the number 30 and then 400, Text the word Vermont. Patriots are coming off the bye week, right? They're getting ready for the Indianapolis Colts. I asked this question yesterday of Pat's broadcaster, Bob Sosi. I said, what do you think the Patriots learned or worked on at the bye? And here's what Bob said. I don't think that the Patriots really learned anything uh, in the last week or so that was a revelation to them, uh, maybe a reaffirmation of some of the things they have seen developing. I was surprised at Bob's answer because if they didn't learn much, if they didn't work on much, that would imply that the Patriots are a perfect team. And we know that the perfect team does not exist. But I will say it's interesting how well-rounded the Patriots are that we can't find a discernible weakness. There are teams that we can point to, even though they're good, and we can point to a weakness. Hey, the... Uh, let me see here. The Colts have a quarterback who's prone to turnovers. That's a weakness. The Chiefs, for a while it was their defense. Now it's not their defense. Buffalo uh, is a better example. Buffalo can't run the football. Uh, the Chargers, we wonder about their defense. Some teams, it's coaching. It does, there's a weakness for everybody. The Patriots, it's a lot harder to find. And I found that to be very, very interesting. That we can't sit here. Other teams, even, it's just like, hey, we need to get healthy. Pats don't even have that. The Pats have been very lucky, knock on wood, to not be hit hard with injuries. James White's gone for the year. That's a big loss. But that's it. I think for the Patriots, the thing they should have worked on at the at the off seat, or at the uh, at the bye week was how do we finish in the red zone? That had to be their number one pick of all the things that you could identify yourself how do we finish in the red zone is it a mindset thing is it a play thing is it personnel is it formations how can we finish because the patriots are 26th in the nfl in red zone touch in red zone touchdown percentage that is not going to win in the playoffs you have to be able to finish you have to be able to get seven long drives have to result in touchdowns i was talking to to Doug Flutie last year, and let's see, this was November 25th of last year, and Flutie told me the same thing about last year's Pats. When you're a nickel and dime passing, when you're not the downfield passing, uh, it's run the ball, eat up clock, play action, Cam running the ball. How do we convert first downs? Convert first downs, convert, convert, and all of a sudden it's a 16-play drive. You're only going to have three or four four possessions a half. Yeah, You've got to make the most of those. And, and come away with points. No matter what, though, by doing that, even when they come away with a field, you're going to be in a one-possession game. 
you have to get seven. That's the thing the Patriots needed to work on. That's the thing the Patriots needed to work on was how do we finish? Is it mindset? Is it personnel? Is it formations? Is it is it something else? We've got to figure out a way to get seven. Here's the plan. Brady Farkas show, we are off for the next two days. We got high school basketball, the Dave Morse Invitational. We got Patriots and Colts on Saturday, 5.30 pregame, 8.15 kickoff. I'm still going to be producing content on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. Buster Olney, Phil Perry, we're going to talk to them still over the next couple of days. So continue to follow along on our podcast channel. You'll get our content. The show will just not be on live here on DEV. I'll see you. It's hard to, be, hard to say this. I'll see you on Monday. Enjoy high school hoops the next two nights, everybody, on DEV. Dinner Jazz is next.